This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, there are two stories from Native American folklore. In one, we'll see that when it comes to making animals, if at first you don't succeed, stop making squirrels the size of whales. Seriously, it's bad for everyone. And in the second story, we'll see a group of unlikely heroes unite to defeat the greatest terror the world has ever known, monster skunk farting everyone to death. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's the embodiment of evil, and it will either try to eat you or just want a long uncomfortable piggyback ride. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 58, Monster. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is Native American folklore looking at some very different nations, but all in a similar storytelling vein that you will immediately pick up on. The first story today comes from the Passamaquoddy, Mi'kmaq, and Maliseet people. All these tribes are currently located in northern Maine in the U.S. and in Quebec, New Brunswick, and Canada. They're all Algonquin language tribes, and these different nations were actually allied until the 1800s. Anyway, on with the story. Gluskap was a creation god, and not only was he pretty instrumental in getting everyone here, but he was a pretty good guy. He runs the world, rules the animals, regulates nature, and keeps us from screwing things up too badly. Sometimes, though, he gets tired of it all, and says, Goodbye, I'm gonna make myself die now. He paddles off to the other side of the misty clouds, and dies. However, he can't enjoy his rest, because he comes back to help when he sees us turning the world into a dumpster fire. So he comes back way, way too often. In some stories, he's credited with creating the humans and the animals, and some just the animals. We're gonna go with the latter, and this is before the humans existed. When he created the animals, the world was still in sandbox mode, and he didn't quite have the scale down yet. For instance, the first time he made a squirrel, he made it as big as a whale, looked at it, and said, this seems like a bad idea. And it was a bad idea. The squirrel annihilated every forest it touched. Gluskap touched it, and it shrunk down to its present size. Then he rebooted the world to start fresh. Then he made the beaver, trying to make that whale-sized as well. It, too, did not work out, and the beaver built a dam that flooded the entirety of North America. It also drowned all those tiny squirrels. He touched the beaver, and it, too, shrunk to be normal beaver-sized. He, once again, rebooted the world and started fresh. Next up was the moose and Gluskap had meant to try to make it smaller. But he still had the make the animals problematically large box checked, and he accidentally made the moose so big that its massive moose head popped over the clouds, and it could trample its way across the continent in mere minutes, scaring all the appropriately sized squirrels and beavers. Gluskap sighed. All right, he would shrink this one too. He touched it on its head, but it just looked at him, shook its moose head, and ran off. It refused to be shrunk. Gluskap sighed, took out his magic bow and arrow, and shot the moose dead. It wavered, and the world shook when it crashed to the ground. Gluskap did not want to clean up a giant disobedient moose corpse, so he, once again, rebooted the world. Once all the animals were made and the environment was pretty stable, he decided to add people. He made the first village and populated it. Then he made village after village. Gluskap visited each village after he made it and taught the people everything they needed to know to live a happy life. 
They lived their lives and each other. People cherished and respected one another and lived in peace. All was well for about a generation. The streams for a whole string of villages began to dry up. Soon, it was completely dry, even when they had heavy rains. Then, a black and green ooze came from it. The people tried the black and green ooze, and it was about as delicious and refreshing and safe for them to drink as you would think a black and green ooze would be. Things got bad. The water storage ran out. The people would die if they stayed here, but all the villages in the area were having the same problem. No one knew what to do. The elders gathered together and determined that they must send a man north, farther than anyone had ever gone. They must learn what was causing this problem and fix it. They found one brave man who left his family in an attempt to save his village. He followed the black, oozing, green stream north. He moved as quickly as he could. His people needed him. He barely slept, and he tracked the stream over the mountains. And when he did, he saw that the stream was flowing. A little bit. It was stinky and yellow, but it was more watery than oozy. Then he saw tents and the shapes of people on the horizon. He ran to them and discovered that they were not people. Well, they were unlike any people he had ever seen. They were lizard people, maybe. They were scaly and had webbed, clawed hands, but were otherwise very polite. Seeing as humanity was only a few years old, Maybe lizard people were a common occurrence? He didn't know. Then he saw it. In the basin in the middle of the village, there were gallons and gallons of clean, cool water. He had been filtering out whatever water he could from the sludge, but it was disgusting. He was parched. He begged the lizard people for water, but they refused. It's not that they didn't want him to have any, but it was really out of their hands. He would have to talk to the great chief that sat at the mouth of all rivers. If he said the brave man could have some, then he could have some. The chief wasn't someone they generally wanted to cross, so the brave man had to ask himself. The brave man sighed and continued on. He wanted to stop and rest, but his thirst prodded him onward. He was so close to water, and he would be lauded as a hero for saving his people. He followed the stream for the better part of a day, until, at evening time, he saw the source. It was a spring, of sorts. The stream was coming from under a mountain, and the black sludge was pouring out of it. The opening where the sludge was coming out was tiny, and even if the brave man didn't care about being covered in sludge, which he absolutely did, he wouldn't have been able to fit. He looked all along the wall, and there wasn't a break for as far as the eye could see. He was stuck. The wall was straight up, so high that he couldn't even see the top of it. Even if he managed to survive the trip around with his thirst, he might never find the stream again. He clenched his fists, he had failed, and now his people would die. Without thinking, he began pounding on the wall, yelling and kicking, not caring about his hands or feet, just howling in rage. Then the wall's eyes opened. The brave man didn't notice until the wall began shifting, moving for miles in each direction. The brave man looked up and saw the monster that he thought was a mountain staring back down at him, its black pupil ringed by yellow. A tongue that was hundreds of feet long licked its lips. The peaks of the mountain weren't peaks. They were this thing's warts. It looked down at the man and said, Hey, why are you kicking me? And what do you want? The brave man's hands began to tremble. This was a huge mistake. Still, he had a chance. He begged the monster for water. The stream was their only spring, and they would die without it. Just maybe scoot over a bit so that it could come through. 
also don't use it as your toilet? Is that too much to ask? It was. The mountain monster smiled a toothless smile. His smile was nearly a mile wide. And he sang, yes, sang, Do ask you please, I don't care. If you want water, go elsewhere. The brave man was pretty angry and said, Look, you're the size of a mountain, and there's nowhere else to go. Oh, you're opening your mouth. Okay, this is probably just fine. The brave man could see inside the creature's mile-long mouth and saw scores and scores of bodies. People, buffalo, deer, a few lizard people. As if he needed to, the monster once again sang, I don't care, don't bother me, go away or I'll swallow you up. I don't know if the brave man was shrinking in terror of being swallowed up, or if he was critical of the monster's laziness when it came to abandoning his rhyme scheme, but he didn't have time to react. The monster closed his mouth, and the brave man was hit with a powerful wind that stank of rotting corpses. He was lifted off his feet and thrown back, away from the monster. The earth shook with the monster's laughter as the monster settled back down over the stream and closed its eyes. The man made the long trek back to his village in failure. When he arrived, the water was blacker and slimier than ever, and he told everyone that they should just get used to drinking the monster's wastewater. The people despaired. They would soon die. They cried out to the heavens. I don't know what Glooscap was doing, but I know what he wasn't doing, getting any rest. Then, he realized that the issue wasn't something the people had done, but a monster that had slipped past his many, many trials and errors when making the animals. He sighed. All right, time to go to work. He painted his body red and made himself 12 feet tall. He adorned himself with eagle feathers and put on clamshell earrings. As he walked, thunder and lightning began to fill the sky. The eagles began to circle above him, and soon he came to the village of the lizard people, who were exceptionally polite to Glooscap, offering him the water, though now, after the last person had come and gone, even their water was yellow and stinky. Glooscap looked at the mountains in the distance. No thanks, he said. I think I'll get my water from the source. He walked and walked until he was facing the stream, and the monster was already awake. On account of the incredibly cool thunder and lightning and eagles, Glooscap said that he wanted water. Clean water. A lot of it. For the people downstream. The monster, once again, creaked out a, Ho ho, all the waters are mine. Go away, or I'll kill you. Apparently just not bothering to rhyme at all. Glooscap narrowed his eyes and said, Yeah, well, we'll see about that. earth trembled as the monster rose to its feet and looked down at Glooscap hungrily. It opened its stinking, slimy mouth and dove down for Glooscap, but found that it never hit the ground. Glooscap was growing. Glooscap grabbed the top of the monster's mouth and pushed it upwards as he grew. The monster, quite literally biting off more than it could chew, began to worry, not nearly as much as it would when Glooscap, now towering over the creature with his head touching the clouds, grabbed the mountain range the monster had been sitting by and wrenched one of the flint peaks from it, making a huge makeshift knife. As he held the struggling monster, now a few times its size, he buried the knife in the ground and dug a deep ravine, a lake. The monster croaked a futile no before Glooscap buried the knife in its belly. 
All the water it had been reserving rushed out, and into the ravine Glooskap had dug, and it turned the stream into a rushing river that flowed to all the people and gave them clean-ish water. Glooskap didn't care about punishing the creature. It was just an animal. It didn't know any better, but he did need to get every last drop out. He balled up the monster and squeezed and squeezed, wringing it out. The monster creaked and croaked, muffled by Glooskap's hands, until, finally, it was a manageable size. Glooskap looked at the valley that had been opened, and the fresh water flowing from the lands beyond, and saw that his work was done. The people would survive. He balled up the now tiny monster, and tossed it like one would toss a balled up and crumpled piece of paper. It landed in the swamp. Glooskap knew the monster lived, but it didn't matter. It couldn't hurt anyone anymore. It recovered after Glooskap threw it in the water, and it swam to a lily pad. It leapt out, sat on the pad, and croaked. The monster had been a bullfrog that Glooskap accidentally made too big, and then forgot about. And that's why the bullfrog's skin is so wrinkly, because Glooskap squeezed it so hard. As it turns out, the murderous frog monster that nearly killed humanity in its infancy is the ancestor of all frogs. So yeah, this means frogs are extremely selfish, and if they were big enough, they would kill us all. And really, given how evil and selfish that one was, how do we know all frogs aren't just sitting on their lily pads, waiting for the day that they can rise up and take revenge? Glooskap looked at the world and wondered if he should check it one last time to make sure all the animals were normal-sized. But that would be a ton of work, and he wanted to go back to sleep. He, once again, boarded his white canoe and sailed off into the mists. Humanity was gonna be alright. Except they weren't. Glooskap forgot something else. Monster Skunk. And Monster Skunk was coming to fart everyone to death. That, of course, will be right after this. The episode today is brought to you by Tor Books, America's largest publisher of excellent science fiction and fantasy for over 35 years. Number one New York Times bestselling author Terry Goodkind has been thrilling readers with his world building and characterization since his debut novel Wizard's First Rule, which begins the best-selling Sword of Truth series. Praised by the San Diego Union Tribune as outstanding and highly recommended, the Sword of Truth series has thrilled and entertained fans for over 20 years. Now, you can discover Goodkind's new novel, Death's Mistress, the first book in an all-new fantasy adventure series set in the world of the Sword of Truth and the perfect entry point for new readers. In Death's Mistress, you can join warrior woman Nisi, a fan favorite and one of the best-loved characters from the best-selling Sword of Truth series, as she sets out on her own adventures, exploring new and fantastical realms. And really, aren't fantastical realms the best kind of realms? You can pick up Death's Mistress by Terry Goodkind today. It's available wherever books are sold. So I'm going to tie this next story loosely to the last, even though they come from multiple different nations. As I said in the beginning, the last story came from the Passamaquoddy, Mi'kmaq, and Maliseet people, and this story comes from the Cree people, who mainly live in Montana in the US and all around Canada. The story takes place a few years after the last, and we'll just jump right in. The people in the village just heard, run. Someone was screaming far off. Then, they felt the ground shake. There was one man, screaming in terror, fleeing a giant skunk. Everyone stared in disbelief as Monster Skunk ran toward the village. It was 
a giant skunk. This was so weird. They thought it was actually kind of funny until they saw it catch up to the man that had been running and screaming, bite him, toss him in the air, catch him and eat him in one bite, and then keep running toward the village. Monster Skunk was, as I said, a giant skunk. And he had some unconventional ways of killing people. In addition to just eating them, he would spray them with a skunk spray, drowning them, poop on them, or most frequently, fart them to death. No one knew if this was just one of those weird things in the world or if it was another creation mistake, but when a monster skunk is farting your village to death, it doesn't really matter. You just want to get away from the farts. Only a few people escaped that village alive, and then ran off to the next one and warned them of the impending fart doom. Everyone was in a panic in the next village. It descended into Bedlam. The farts. The farts were coming. Everyone wanted to flee, but the elders stopped them. How did they know they wouldn't flee to the exact place where Monster Skunk was going? They needed more knowledge about Monster Skunk. Then, two brave people stepped forward. Well, not people. A mouse and a weasel. They would scout out Monster Skunk, so that the village would know which way to flee. The elders thanked them for their bravery. The mouse and the weasel took off into the forest. It was only a matter of hours until, on their little mouse and weasel legs, they found Monster Skunk. He was sleeping and snoring. It was like a low rumble from a black and white hill. Mouse and Weasel stayed by him, waiting for him to wake up. They were so small and quiet that, when he did wake up and leave, he missed them tracking his great footsteps, and they followed long enough to see the direction he was going. He was going west, toward the village. They left Monster Skunk and ran as fast as they could, racing to the village. They made it in just enough time to warn the people. In the flurry of preparations, the pair stood in the middle of the village, Mouse and Weasel looked at each other. Fleeing was only a temporary solution. People and animals could keep running and running, but it wouldn't stop Monster Skunk from covering the earth in his farts. Bobcat strolled up. An actual Bobcat. Bobcat Goldthwait doesn't make an appearance in Cree folklore. Bobcat said she heard them. She was in. This was her land, too, and she didn't want it destroyed by farts. Then, another one stepped forward. Coyote. Okay, real quickly, we've talked about Coyote before, but there's the Big Sea Coyote, who is the famous trickster, and then there are other anthropomorphic coyotes, as we're seeing in the Turtle vs. Coyote race. I don't know if this is the former or the latter. Also, she's a female coyote. Anyway, Coyote stepped forward too. If Monster Skunk had his way, there wouldn't be any people to con, or any rocks to give blankets to and then take them back. She, too, was in. They were going to bring him down. That's when they heard the rumbling. In the distance, like a small mountain rising over the horizon, was Monster Skunk. It was time to fight. Then, they saw a figure off in the distance. A lone woman from the village, standing before Monster Skunk, with only a bag by her side. Coyote recognized her. She was someone who knew magic. Out there, on the road before the village, the young woman stared into the black eyes, parted by the white stripe of a face that would actually be kind of cute if it didn't fill her vision and wasn't going to fart her to death. Monster Skunk smiled and started to turn around. But the young woman was ready. She pulled out her awe case from her bag and threw it at the skunk's rear end, telling it to stand up and become a mighty forest. And it did. The woman ran back as the space between her and Monster Skunk became a tall, old forest. She was happy. This would give them time to get away. She smiled until she heard it. The fart rocketed through the forest, annihilating trees until nothing but splintery stumps were left. The woman narrowed her eyes as she saw Monster Skunk getting ready to fart again. She didn't wait. 
but pulled out her whetstone and threw it, telling it to become not just a mountain, but a slippery mountain. And it did, but not fast enough. While still little more than a rocky hill, monster skunk farted and blasted it to rubble. The woman began to despair. She had one more thing. She pulled her water bag out and laid it on the ground. She begged it, pleaded with it, to become the largest river in the world, to become impassable for monster skunk. And it did. It became wider and wider, until it was bigger than the Mississippi and rougher than rapids. This would buy them some time. This would save her, wait, what is he drinking it? Monster skunk was grateful for the water because he was pretty thirsty after eating the last village. The woman stood in anxiety while he drank and drank until the river slowed to a trickle. Monster skunk licked his lips, burped, and stared at the woman as he began to walk across the wide, dry riverbed. Monster skunk lumbered across the river and the young woman took out her long stone knife. People were still scrambling to get out of the village behind her. She had to do something. She had to try and save them. She gripped her knife and yelled a battle cry and then ran headlong across the dry riverbed after Monster Skunk. She didn't even make it halfway. Monster Skunk turned around and farted her to pieces. The animals at the edge of the village watched in horror. They looked at each other, nodded, yelled, and ran for Monster Skunk. Four farts in a row was a bit much, even for Monster Skunk. So it gave the animals a bit of time to get across the river and actually make it to him without meeting the same fate as the young woman. Once they were there, they were facing a skunk the size of a hill, so they had to figure out how to kill it. Each animal did what he or she did best. Weasel and Mouse climbed on its fur and ran around it, biting and scratching. It tried to root through its fur to get them, but they were too fast. Bobcat climbed up its fur while it was distracted, until she was at Monster Skunk's throat, tearing at it with her teeth and claws. Coyote stood back and fired arrows at Monster Skunk. When she saw it wasn't doing anything, she ran to his tail and climbed atop the beast. With Coyote stabbing him from above, Bobcat gnawing at his neck, and Weasel and Mouse biting him all over his body, Monster Skunk was not really slowed at all. Monster Skunk saw that delicious village in front of him, just asking to be farted into oblivion. Coyote saw the whole thing. Monster Skunk was now virtually ignoring them and moving for the village. The village would be gone in less than a minute, and everyone would be dead, just waiting to be eaten by Monster Skunk. She could hear the skunk rumbling as it stopped and began to turn around. Then, Coyote saw it. The solution, the way to destroy Monster Skunk. She sheathed her knife and ran as fast as she could down Monster Skunk's tail. She rolled when she hit the ground. She could hear him rumbling. It was almost here. Monster Skunk smiled. He was ready. Now the village will witness the power of this fully armed and operational skunk digestive system. Then, Monster Skunk felt it, what Coyote had seen. When she was on top of Monster Skunk, Coyote had seen a large rock. She ran for it, and she struggled to lift it, but she was able to put it in the place where Monster Skunk's farts came out. Monster Skunk felt it, but it was too late. The fart was already on its way out. Coyote screamed for the others, for them to get off Monster Skunk to get away as quickly as possible. Bobcat, Weasel, and Mouse leapt from Monster Skunk, and the rock held. Monster Skunk screeched and swelled, his fart backfiring up his body until he couldn't take the force. Coyote ran as fast as she could, as Monster Skunk, the beast as big as a hill, exploded behind her. As in every action movie, Coyote ran in slow motion, away from the explosion behind her, and she leapt in the air and was thrown clear. 
Then there was silence. Her ears ringing, Coyote struggled painfully to her feet. She had been thrown about 20 feet and rolled, but she was alive. She looked to where Monster Skunk had been and only saw four large disembodied skunk feet resting on the ground and black and white fur drifting down slowly from the sky. She saw Bobcat, Mouse, and Weasel all rising to their feet. They had made it off Monster Skunk before he exploded. It was over. Monster Skunk was dead. Cody took a deep breath, and then she regretted taking a deep breath. She shielded her nose. Wow. That was bad. They had saved the village, but really hoped the smell was just a temporary thing. People came from miles around, once the smell cleared, with chunks of skunk meat. The skunk had blown up and had gone miles in every direction. The people came together and had a big feast and a wonderful celebration. And Coyote, with her team of unlikely animal heroes who had saved them all, well, they were honored above all else. There will be other monsters and creatures rising from the darkness on the horizon to threaten humanity. But if the people and animals could band together to take on Monster Skunk and his farts of doom, then there was nothing they couldn't do. That's it for this week. Next week, we're diving back into Greek mythology, where we are finally talking about Persephone and Hades, as well as the prelude to the Trojan War and the curse of the House of Atreus, where we'll learn that there's apparently no such thing as too much atrocity. I want to give a quick update on the Heifer International thing from a couple weeks back. You all are amazing. We've raised almost $2,000 for women in Nepal. If you're interested... The fundraiser will be going on for a little while longer. You can go to mythpodcast.com slash goats, or there are links in the show notes, social media, mythpodcast.com. Also, there's a new episode of Career Day out this week, our other podcast, where the topic is cows. My wife, Carissa, talks to dairy farmers, a veterinarian that works on cows, and someone actually from Heifer International. I personally learned so much from this episode that cows have personalities especially poor Elmer who can't find a date. But it's also cool to hear about the really interesting, winding journeys people have taken to get where they are. Check it out, seriously. It's a funny, fascinating episode. You can find it on iTunes at itunes.careerdayshow.com or just search for Career Day by Carissa Weiser wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is from Russian folklore. Its name is Liha. The name means evil in Russian. There are two main forms of this creature. One is sort of a male goblin who jumps on people's backs and, while not super malicious, does bring bad luck. One way they bring bad luck is apparently when this form gets on someone's back, people think it's a good idea to wade into the river to try to drown the liha. Call it bad luck or great lung capacity on behalf of the liha, but the person invariably drowns and the liha emerges from the river looking for another person to give him a sinister piggyback ride. The other form is much more widely accepted. It's of a stooped, aged, one-eyed woman dressed in black. The story goes that two good men, one a tailor and the other a blacksmith, went on a journey to see if they could find the location of evil. Okay, I'm going to pause the story right here and say don't do this. Why in the world would you go journeying into the wilderness of the Middle Ages looking for evil? Anyway, they found it. Or, more accurately, her. They found one-eyed Liha. You might be thinking, she just gave them shelter from the rain. She can't be all evil. Well, unfortunately for the men, you would be wrong. She only let the men to eat them. And when she sat them down, 
they realized they were in the presence of evil. It was half a second too late for the tailor though, because one-eyed Li Ha appeared behind him and cut his throat. She turned the knife to the blacksmith, who said that he had noticed she had one eye. He pleaded with her that as a blacksmith, he could fix her eye, he could make her a new one. Is that something she would like him to do? She sneered at him. Did he think she was stupid? Of course she wanted him to fix her eye. Let's get this thing going. He said he needed to tie her up. He was going to be hammering in a new eye, so one wrong move could be disastrous. She said, of course, and consented to let him tie her up and get the red hot poker. Now, I can just imagine the blacksmith saying, I cannot believe you let me do this, before plunging the red hot poker into Liha's good eye. Evil is strong though, and it snapped the rope. There are similarities to Odysseus and Polyphemus from the Odyssey, and she moved to block the door. Fortunately, like Polyphemus, Liha kept sheep in her house. Unlike Polyphemus's, they were normal-sized sheep. Fortunately, the smith had a sheepskin coat, so he just walked past Liha as she was feeling all the backs of her sheep. Evil had an insurance policy, though, to catch people walking through the forest. It was a golden axe stuck in a tree not far from the house. The blacksmith, who really should have been running, stopped and decided he'd try to grab it. He tried to pull it loose, but it wouldn't budge. Unfortunately, after he touched it, neither would he. The axe was enchanted, and his right hand was stuck to it. Then, he heard Liha coming through the forest. With her magic, she knew someone had grabbed her axe. The blacksmith could hear her, not far off. She was slowed by her recent blindness, but she would come. The blacksmith felt in his pockets for anything to escape. With a chill, he found his way out. Liha heard screaming as she approached the tree. She knew the axe was there and knew someone had touched it, but she couldn't hear the young man breathing. She touched the axe and then felt his hand and smiled. She traced her way up his arm, but she felt it come to an abrupt, bloody end. The blacksmith had found a sharp knife in his pocket and cut off his own arm rather than be taken by Liha. Liha swore and felt her way back to the house, waiting for the next fool who came into the forest looking for evil. This one is a stark, albeit obvious moral. Do not go looking for evil. It's easy to find evil and to fall into its clutches, but it is very difficult to escape and may cost you more than you're prepared to give. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. If you're on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, you can find the show there at MythPodcast. I'm Jason Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.